Church, a person without conviction is at the mercy of circumstance. And if circumstances cause us to change our conviction, then they were never convictions in the first place. A small team of faculty which is being put together from different people around the world is, was meeting recently to talk about the refinery. The refinery is the school that we're starting of ministry next September right here in St. Charles, Geneva where students will come and live for nine months from different countries and be trained to find their God-given shape, to find which mountain of influence God's called them to climb. And the first question that was asked that night is, could we go round the room and could you please share what your own personal core values are? And as we went around the table, people said, I value this and I value this, and they were all being written down. And by the end, we came to this conclusion, which is accurate, that what you value as far as core values will ultimately create the culture in which you live. That makes sense? So what you value in your marriage, what you value as a single person, what you value in your family, what you value in your children, what you value in your business, what you value in your life, those core values will begin to create the culture in which you live. The, by culture, I mean the way that you do life. There's a culture in the way each one of us live individually. There's a culture in which we live corporately. But when Mary started to sing today, we're no longer slaves, it began to, to, again, to rock me. I just, in God's presence, about core values. And the biggest core value that brings us all together to sit in a gym for two hours on a Sunday morning on flip chairs, something has gripped us, something has grabbed us. And I want to suggest what's grabbed us is the reality that we've been taken from slavery, from the domain of darkness. Everyone over here, your darkness, okay? Here's the cross. We're going over an old lesson here. Here's the cross. And here is the marvelous kingdom of light. Isn't it great to be in the marvelous kingdom of light? So the Bible says that we were all once slaves, that we were once sinners, we were in darkness, right? We were slaves, we were sinners. But because of the cross, there was a divine exchange. The wrath of God was satisfied at Calvary. Jesus totally nailed it. Shame was nailed to the cross. Sin was nailed to the cross. Sickness was nailed to the cross. And this divine exchange that we see in Isaiah 61, instead of, instead of beauty in, in, for ashes, instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And this divine exchange happens which took us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the marvelous kingdom of light. So now we are not sinners and slaves now we are sons and we are daughters now we are saints nowhere in Paul's letters does he write to the sinners in Colossae or Ephesus or 
or to the Thessalonians, he didn't say, hey, welcome, I greet you sinners in the name of Jesus. He said, no, I greet you saints. Because he's speaking and declaring their position, who they are, because of the finished work of the cross. Amen? So the reason I'm saying that, I think, what's that got to do with core values? Because if we, uh, if we know Jesus, if we've been given our life to him, the thing that brings us all together is that we are in the kingdom for such a time as this. And we're attracted, there's something in our spirit man, it's hard to explain, but it's a sound that resonates in our spirit. See, Paul says, we know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. And there's something in your spirit that resonates with other people. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's like you haven't met somebody, just, I, just, I don't even know you in the flesh, but after the spirit I do. In the conference that in the UK the other, the other week, um, I knew that God didn't want me to speak at the conference. And I had asked different people to prepare, and this one person, and just before different circumstances happened, and, and he, he, he wasn't able to speak. And I thought, yikes, uh, tomorrow night is the main night of the conference. And I know I shouldn't be speaking. Who should speak? And there's a gentleman by the name of Israel. And I was talking with him. And as he was talking, my spirit and his spirit started to resonate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. As he was speaking, I'm like, yeah, amen. You ever felt that in the spirit? Suddenly you wake up. You're like, yes, it's deep calling to deep. Israel, by the way, was, was, is, a, is a Hollywood actor. He was the blind man in, in the Pirates of the Caribbean. And so it's really interesting to see an actor worshiping God and just going crazy, loving Jesus with his kids. But anyway, as he's speaking to me, I, I said, man, he was talking about the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I said, Israel, will you preach tomorrow night? He went, what? I said, I'd like you to pray about speaking tomorrow night at the conference. This guy has only just joined the church. I don't even know him. I've had one lunch with him. And I, he said, uh, I feel honored, Dan. This is a big risk. You don't even know me. I said, but by the spirit I do. He said, I understand that. And I introduced him and I said, I know this man after the spirit. I don't know him after the flesh. I don't know him personally, but I know his spirit. And those who were there, didn't he nail it? I mean, wow. I mean, it was true. Yeah, it's great. So, the enemy comes because of the word. So, we've been taken from the domain of darkness, brought into the marvelous kingdom of light, and here there's certain values. When you come, when you, when you were serving in the domain of darkness, whether you knew it or not, you were in darkness. But when you came into the kingdom of light, you came under his kingship. And the king's name is? Jesus, and it's a kingdom. And in the kingdom, there's certain rules. There's certain ways that we live by. And they are kingdom ways. It's kingdom living. And there are kingdom principles. And, when, and there are kingdom values. And when we, those values get into us, it creates the culture of the king. And it's called kingdom living. And that's what I want to talk about today. And for some of you, you may feel like, I, I, 
I've heard this before, or I've, yeah, I think I've heard this before, but I, I want to provoke you. And sometimes I travel around and I come home and, and I just, I, I love being home. There's no place like home. I love this church family. And I, and I think, uh, where, I just, I just this morning, I, I want to remind us again of these. So they may just be like, yeah, that's a really good reminder. You know, the word remember in the Bible is a, is a word. It's actually an apostolic word that the apostles used to, to cause us to remember. Remember. Paul says it to Timothy. Remember to fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. Really interesting. He didn't say remember the gift. He says remember to fan the gift. Hello. Remember your gift? No. Remember to fan the gift that is in, within you, that was in your grandmother, that was in your mother. And Paul says, I'm persuaded now is inside of you. Remember, Timothy, to fan it into flame. Remember to stoke those words. Remember to keep that fire. Uh, remember the prophetic words. Remember his voice. Remember the word. And think it not strange when the word attracts conflict. Because Jesus says, if you don't understand that, you won't understand anything. The word attracts conflict. And it's the word that goes into a heart. I'm jumping through. I'm not going to speak on that parable today. But it's the word that goes into a heart. Watch this. With understanding. With understanding. When there is understanding of the word of God, then come hell or high water. It doesn't matter because we still stand. And a church, I, uh, I have to live the word exactly the same as you do. I am prone to, to, to disappointment the same way you, you are. I have to consider it pure joy when, it, when we face trials of many kinds. Because I know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I have to combat the lies of the enemy the same as you do. I have to remember to fan into the flame the gifts the same that you do. I am prone to the same challenges that you are. And it's so important in times of where, where things are just unsettled to make sure you anchor what is sure. That which is stable. That which you know. One of the things Paul says to Timothy, continue in that which you know and have become convinced of. So here we are. There's seven points. And just to be different, I thought it would spell something. So here's the acronym. There's seven. <laughs> There's seven. And the acronym spells culture. Some of you may have heard this in culture class. You may have heard it before. Um, but the C, you ready? We're going to start going. Ready? C, C, is for the word choice. Will you say that with me? Choice choice. Now, I'm going to give a positive and a negative because there's an opposite to having choice. And the opposite instead is choice, not control. Will you say that with me? Control. Hands have you ever been controlled before? Isn't it? Control is awful. In fact, I would go, I would go, I would go, I would say that, that control from an ill spirit has really got the enemy behind it. Not all control is bad. Romans tells us in Romans 6 that the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So not all, con all control is bad. But when you have control that comes from an ill spirit, it's bad. But here's what I want to touch on. Choice. Everyone say choice. 
just so I know you're with me. I know you've eaten a lot of turkey and it's like, what was it? What? Choice, choice, choice. God is a God that gives choice. Ready? Here we go very quickly. Ever since the beginning in the garden, God gave Adam choice. He said to him, Adam, you're free to eat from, from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you disobey you and you eat of it, you will surely die. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death. Nonetheless, even though God gave that instruction, he still gave him a choice. If he didn't give him a choice, there would have been a barricade around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he wouldn't have been able to eat from it, but he could because he had a choice. In Deuteronomy, it says, today I bring heaven and earth as witnesses, choose life or choose death. It's like multiple choice. It's like God saying, choose that one. That one, not that one, that one but it's still your choice. But if you choose that one, you'll live. If you choose that one, that's not good. Choose life. You follow? But it's still a choice. The rich young ruler, I'm fascinated by this, but the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Master, I've done all of these things. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus looked at him and knew that the issue in his heart was money. And he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler says, went away disappointed because he had much wealth. What's my point? He gave him a choice. I, I find it fascinating that Jesus didn't run after him and renegotiate. He says, if you want to follow me, this is the cost, but it's still your choice. And he chose not to do it. The prodigal son powerful picture of choice that he comes it's the son comes to the master he says father give me what belongs to me and the father watch this empowered him to make a poor decision hello he empowered him he still loved him and i love this he never went after his son when he made a poor decision he stayed at home always looking for him to come back god spoke to me once don't go after the prodigals because they know where home is Go after the lost because they don't. Some people we think, well, they're lost. They're not lost. They know exactly where home is, but they've made a choice. And when we come to the end of ourselves, there's a wonderful, loving father that's looking for us from a long way off to say, Welcome home, son. I'm not interested in your story. I'm not interested. I know where you've been. I just want you to know I absolutely love you. And everything that I did on the cross are now a credit to you. Grace is like a bungee cord. When we let go of what we're reaching for, it snaps us back into God's purpose. But choice, choice, he's a God that gives us choice. Watch this. If God gives us the prerogative to choose, then so must we. And so often we control things because of fear. And all control comes from fear and I want you to ask yourself in your own life what do I control and watch if is behind that control is it actually fear because when what's behind fear what's behind that is hurt when the heart gets hurt it defaults in fear and fear defaults in control but when the father heals the heart the heart defaults in love and perfect love casts out all fear choice it works with your work it works with people it works in life to give people choice 
I'm just going to say this while we're on the subject, but I think it's really weird when Christians get upset with sinners when they sin. That's what they're supposed to do. Why do Christians get mad with the world when the world do what the world does and live the life that God gave them the choice to live? Oh, well, they're this, that, the other. They've chosen this type of sexuality. They've chosen to live this lifestyle. Yeah, and God, their creator, gave them, gave them the prerogative to do that. He said, choose life or choose death. He chose you can serve me or you can not. But either way, watch this, Jesus loved them. Even with the rich young ruler, as if you read it, Jesus says, when he went away, the rich young ruler went away, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I want to leave this question with you. Can you love someone when they make a choice and a decision that you do not think that they should make? Because if you do, and you can do that, and it's a, it's a, it's a process, I, I want to suggest to you, you are, you are creating a core value, which is a kingdom value, which will create the culture of the king. And it starts with choice. And if the minute we take away people from making their own choice, even if we don't think that they should be making that choice, and I would say this, even if we actually know for a fact they're making the wrong choice, it's still their choice. Now, just for clarity's sake, because many years ago I taught this principle, and I taught in the context of raising children, and a parent did come up to me with a five-year-old, and the five-year-old said, we didn't want to live with our parents anymore. A little bit odd. Um, just for clarity, that it's age-appropriate choice. Okay. Yeah. Well, Dan said we just let everybody let how kids choose. Age appropriately. Uh, okay. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. I was going to tell the story. I thought that's not appropriate either. So, choice, 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 not control choice not control i find my own heart getting tested in this all the time especially if it's hurtful especially if the it's the choice that you give someone the right to make hurts you per personally because you know that causes you pain and if it's going to cause you hurt the tendency is to is to control i just want to encourage you don't do it okay cool just i i think you'll find that the power of choice is a hallmark of the kingdom and I said a few weeks ago, I'm going to talk for a couple of weeks on a hallmarks of a healthy church. And one of them is this. It's these, 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 these are convictions. They're things that will go deep in us. You can't make people do stuff. If God gives people the prerogative, you can write this down. If God gives us the prerogative to choose, then so must we. When uh, we first, as many of you know, I have a business since I was about 20 in, in buying and selling real estate. And uh, I, uh, when we bought a house where we now live, we actually originally bought it to buy it and sell it. But halfway through the renovation, we decided it would actually be a good house for us to live in. And our business partner said, well, why don't we figure out a way where you can stay there? So... We did that, and they had a pool. The house had been empty for three years, and we fixed the pool up, and it needed a new liner. Some of you remember me telling this story before, but it really just nails this point home about choice. And I was praying about choice. I was learning about sonship and what God is to be God is as a father. And um, the boys had, I think it was their eighth birthday, and they had these uh, scooters, these little metal scooters. And it's an in-ground pool, and so they said, Dad, can we, can we drive our scooters into the pool? 
And their mum rightly said, absolutely not. Well, I was thinking about choice and the power of choice and the power of consequence. See, consequence is the sequence of events that happens based on the decisions and the choices that we make, right? There is consequence is. There's consequences. There's a sequence of events that's going to happen. But some of them are bad. And nonetheless, we need to teach our kids age-appropriate choice. So I looked at Fee and I said, can I deal with this? She said, sure. And I said, boys, yes, you can. They were like, sweet. They turned around, got on their scooters, turned around to get a run-up. And as they were about to race towards the pool, I said, hey, boys, before you do this, I just want you to consider one thing, that if a piece of metal on these scooters that you got for your birthday snag the liner of the pool, the water will drain out overnight. And the, potentially the walls will collapse because the water keeps the pressure of the walls in. But I never swim in the pool anyway, and it's up to you. And I could see feel like, you're going to take this risk? And I forgot all about it. We, had, we were talking to Jeremy and Dana at the time, and we would, I turned around and carried on talking to them. And, and that night, I was putting the twins to bed and think, talking about their birthday, and I said to Isaac, hey, what happened with the scooters? Did you like them? Did you, what happened with the pool? And Isaac said this. Where, where's Isaac? There he is. Uh, he said, Dad, we thought it through. And we counted the cost, like you taught us, and we decided it wasn't worth it. You know what, though? As a dad, I would have let all the water drain out and the walls collapse because there's something powerful about life lessons. And sometimes, if we, if we are always controlled and told what to do and what not to do, do this, don't do this, don't do this, you can't do this, we actually never grow up. So I'm really, I'm really laboring this point. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend this long on all the other seven points. Um, number two um, is, is unity. 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 But unity, unity is this. Unity is the celebration of diversity. Unity is not like choice, not control, it's unity, but not uniformity. You follow? How beautiful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So unity is a powerful word. God is attracted to unity. But what is unity? Unity is the celebration of diversity. It's celebrating the fact that we are different. It's celebrating the fact that God has made us different. Uniformity is boring. I don't believe when, the, when Jesus talks about coming back for a bride without spot or blemish, I don't think he's talking about a church that's all going to be greeting this, believe the same thing. We all believe that. Yeah, we all believe that. We finally all came to unity. We're all in complete agreement. We have the same eschatology. We believe the same thing about demonology. We believe the same thing about, about sexuality. We believe the same thing. We just, the whole world, the whole, that's rubbish. Unity is not uniformity, it's the celebration of diversity. I'm not talking about core values, I'm talking about the fact that there's a unity where we can love one another and celebrate one another's differences. 
because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were all made original. Sadly, many people die copies. We were all born with our own voice. Sadly, many people die as an echo. They die as an echo of someone else rather than realizing that God made you completely unique. That's why we have fingerprint scams, scans. Because no one has the same fingerprint. So do you think that perhaps God wants his church to look so diverse? I'm excited to be in Africa in a few days' time just to see how the Africans worship. It's very different from the Western church. But it's not wrong. It's just completely different. And one of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, he says, go and make disciples of every nation. Watch this. Not make disciples from the nation that you came from. And it's really important for me when we go to Africa, influencing leaders, that I don't take a Western culture and a Western Christianity, but we've got to make disciples of the African nation so they stand up having the principles of the king and reproduce them in that nation. That's why the word of God is our final authority. It's the word of God. It's the principles. That's why the seed and the sower is so important because it's the word of God going into the hearts of people from different nations. Amen. Amen. My job isn't to say, well, it would be really good, you know, if you could maybe get some, a better sound system or maybe some flashy lights or, hey, have you guys ever heard of a fog machine? That really brings the atmosphere. No. But we can talk to them about the principles of the king. That's why some of the best worship meetings I've ever been in in my life, there's just been a few people without instruments. I'm totally for instruments, by the way. But, and I'm totally for, you know, uh, I'm totally for flashing lights and I'm, Everything, great, awesome. But those things don't get people saved. The gospel does. Okay, all right. So unity is the celebration of diversity. You know, the greatest gift is the one that's needed at that time. That's the greatest gift. It's the one that's needed at that time. All right, L. Um, L is for love. Will you say that with me? Love and not law. So C is for choice, not control. U is for unity, not uniformity. L is for love, not for law. You know, if we, if we don't have love, if we don't have grace, all we're left with is the law. But when we truly get a hold, and, and I think this, if you read it in the story of the rich young ruler, it says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. I, I, I just really... For mums, dads, for business owners, for leaders, for, 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 for children, everyone in this room. Just listen, listen, to this, listen to this. This is so powerful. What does love look like? See, love does. Love looks like something. And when it's when Jesus, imagine you're Jesus and some, this rich young ruler comes and says, Master, I did all of these things. I've done all these good deeds. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, I want you to go and give everything you have and give it away to the poor. And he's like, what? Whoa, steady on there. That's a little heavy. I'm a rich guy. It wasn't, the problem wasn't, the, it was, wasn't with the fact that he had money. It was the fact that money had him. It was, his go- it was his God. It was everything to him. And Jesus knew he wouldn't be able to let it go. And I, but then Jesus looks at him and loves him. 
How do you look at someone and love them? I believe you can only do it if you have the love of God in your own heart. That you actually just love them. It's a look. I've just, I just love you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't rude. Love keeps no record of when it's been wrong. Love is not easily angered. How do you look at someone and be kind? You look at someone with patience in your eye. You look at somebody and you're not angry. You're looking at someone and you're not remembering what they've done wrong because love keeps no record. Some of you just need to hear that. It will change your life. It will change your marriage. It will change relationships. It keeps no record. I said this, used to say this saying, well, I forgive you, but I don't trust you. Oh, I forgive you, but you stole from me, and I, now I don't trust you. And I thought, that's such a good saying, because it kind of meets halfway. Like, I forgive you, but you have to earn my trust back. Until I read First Corinthians 13, love always trusts. Oh, well, not always, because <laughs> of what I said. No, it always trusts. So I had to correct that. I couldn't say that anymore. It didn't work anymore. So now when someone does you wrong or they break your trust, when you say, I forgive you, you also say, I trust you. Because love always trusts. Obviously, there's some, still a process in there somewhere, which I, I don't want to get caught in the weeds, but I think you hear what I'm saying. The woman caught in adultery is another powerful picture of what love looks like. When they're trying to catch Jesus out and they bring this woman, watch this, who was caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't like, hey, once she did something wrong. No, she was caught in the act. You don't want to think about that too much, but basically, whilst being caught in the act, they grabbed her and they pulled her through the streets and threw her at Jesus' feet and says, the law says... And Jesus starts to write in the sand. And it's fascinating what theologians for hundreds of years have tried to figure out what Jesus actually wrote. But the truth is we don't know what he wrote. But whatever he did write, he was writing while he was stooped down. And what I find interesting, if I love the Bible, I love reading it, and the more you read it, you get a picture and you get revelation because it's rhema, it's living, it's active. But if Jesus was stooped down to start writing, he wasn't looking at the people. The woman is there, but the men, these men are there, these religious people who are holding him to the law. And whatever he wrote, they looked and the oldest, starting with the oldest, they started to walk away. They dropped their rocks. They walked away. And then it says, Jesus straightened his back. So now he's standing up. And he says to the woman, where are your accusers? He wasn't looking. And what I love about the love of God is this. We don't know what he said because it was between him 
and them. But they knew. Then he says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I forgive you. That's what love looks like. The law looks like hypocrisy. The law has a rock. The law says it must happen. They must be punished. There must be justice. But he who's been, who has loved much, sorry, watch this, who's been forgiven much, loves much. Particularly in the last few years, for whatever reason, I find myself in situations where I'm dealing with conflict, not so much now within a churches, but within ministries or with leaders or pastors. And there was a time in my life where I missed something, and it caused me a great deal of personal pain. And I said, Lord, how could I have missed that? And I remember exactly where I was when, he, when the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, son, I'm going to teach you a lesson and a principle that you'll learn, you'll hold for the rest of your life and is going to help you. And it was this scripture right here. He who's been forgiven much loves much. Question. How do you get forgiven? That's not a rhetorical question, guys. How do you get forgiven? You have to first... But if you've done something wrong to get forgiveness, you need to first repent. You need to ask for forgiveness. So watch this. The first step is you repent. And he who's been, and then you get forgiven, right? So this is what, where Jesus is talking about. He who's been forgiven much loves much. He who's been forgiven much loves much if you've been forgiven much the fruit of forgiveness is you will love much and the holy spirit said if you want to know if someone's hiding something if they're really telling the truth the fruit of their life will be much love because they've been forgiven but if they haven't repented they will not be able to love much because they haven't been forgiven much. What does love look like? Much love looks like much patience, much kindness. Love is not rude, so it's much the opposite of rudeness. Much never keeping a record of when it's been wronged. Much, much, much. Do you follow what I'm saying? Is this helping anybody? So this, this is the reason this is so important is it because it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a principle. It's a conviction. It's a value. But it's not just one that I just came up with. I believe these are based in, in the core of kingdom culture. So love, but not a law. Love, not law. Um, T is for truth. T is for truth. Truth, truth, truth. Truth. The truth is the word of God. Um, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, there's so much I could say on this, but 
I'll just use this, this is one scripture, it's in, in 1 John, it says, and Jesus came to us full of two things, G and T, not, not, not gin and tonic, no, 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 he came full of grace and truth, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, <laughs> no, um, he came full of grace and truth, G and T, that's how I wrote it down, G and T, Jesus came full of grace and truth, it's like grace and truth are like two wings of an airplane, you can't have one without the other, you ever met someone, they're just really into truth. Just truth. There's very little grace. But grace doesn't work without truth, and truth doesn't work without grace. Jesus came full of both. He came full of grace, and he came full of truth. And if we can live by that value of living in both, in, in that, that, the, that tension of, of, of living both at the same time, it will really help us. And truth without a twist that's the other t truth without a twist twist this i'm going to go very deep very quickly and then i'm going to pop back up and some of you will track with me and some of you will be like wow i have no idea what you just said and that's okay but at least you have the notes in ezekiel chapter one there were four spiritual faces of god there was the face of a lion there was a face of an eagle face of a man and face of ox and the Bible says that there, there were, there Ezekiel saw wheels within wheels, and the Spirit of God was in the wheels. Wherever God does something, there's, the enemy always does a counterfeit. And there are four spirits that are counterfeit from the, spirits of, the Spirit of God that I'm going to just name right now. The first is the Leviathan spirit. The second is the Python. Third is the Jezebel spirit. And the fourth is the Absalom. One, the Leviathan, is, means to twist. It's the twisting spirit. And this is really my main point here. It's truth without a twist. Have you ever been with someone or been in a situation where you're talking with them and suddenly the whole conversation just gets twisted? And you're like, what? What just, what just happened? I want to suggest to you it could be a spirit at work, twisting it. It's really fascinating. I want to encourage you. Those who, who speak in tongues, it's a good time to pray in the spirit. <laughs> because praying in the spirit is something that the enemy cannot decode. He cannot, it's a, it's a heavenly language. But as you start praying in the spirit, you'll, you'll, you'll come to complete peace. And you're like, no, devil, I'm not dealing with this. This is, this is, this is demonic. See, Ephesians 6 says this. We wrestle... Not, everyone say not, against flesh and blood. No, it's not about people, but principalities of darkness. So there's a wrestle going on, right? There's a wrestle going on. Do we all agree with this? There's a wrestle, really a wrestle going on? There's a wrestle going on. And sometimes we think, so it's not your aunt or your mum or your dad or your son or your daughter or your, or your, or your husband or your wife. I want to suggest there can be a spirit can get in and you can squish that spirit really quickly. I was walking in California once, and it said, beware of rattlesnakes. They hide between the cracks. They hide between the rocks. You know, one of the things that we must do as God's people is keep the gaps closed. Close the gap. Because when you close the gap, you crush the serpent's head. Amen? Crushes. I was with somebody, some pastors this week, and, um, and I read to them at the end of our time together um, in Genesis where, where Joseph stands before his brothers and they didn't know it was Joseph. 
And he couldn't contain himself as they're all bowing down before him. And he's second in command to Pharaoh. And he realizes, I mean, it's so powerful, this story, because it, it, basically his brothers have come to get corn and they've come to get grain. And he stood there and they're bowing down to him. And this is the realization of the dream that he had that got him there in the first place. And as he stood there, he, he can't control himself anymore. And it says he's just started to cry. And he, and he went into the palace and he screamed and cried so loud that Pharaoh heard about it. And then he came out and he said to his brothers, I'm your brother, Joseph. It's me. I'm the one that you sold into slavery. You killed me. Or at least you thought you did. And then he says this, these four words. He says, come close to me. Come close to me. Joseph could have gone, look at me now. Like my robe, this is better than the one that you took from me. Remember that dream? This is it, boys. But he said, come close to me. Let's close the gap. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Don't fight one another. Just go and say, come close to me. Close the gap. You know, sometimes exercising your right to be right makes you wrong. Just close the gap. Just say, you know what? I'm sorry. The fact that I made you feel that way is wrong. That wasn't my intention. And, you know, there's a matter of times I thought, God, I'm right. And Lord, I know you know I'm right. And I'm just going to put this, I'm going to just set this person straight because I'm right. And the Lord said to me, exercising that right to be right will make you wrong. Shut your mouth and go and put it right. Put what right? anything wrong that's wrong that attitude you can start there okay see sometimes the issue is really in our own heart I know I've told this story before but we were in the UK and our lease is up and we had to find another house to live and we were on the equivalent of Zillow, looking for a house to rent. And I said to Fee, English houses are just gross and dirty. I don't want to live in any of these. And she said, why? I said, just every house I look at, the kitchens are dirty, the bathrooms are dirty. It's just gross. So I go to someone else. And I thought, this just can't be. And so I'm like, zooming in, like, where's this? And one time I just zoomed in on an iPad and I realized the dirt wasn't moving, that the dirt was actually on the screen. And the Lord said this to me, if you don't put Windex on the lens of your own heart, everything you look at, you'll look at through the lens of dirt, pain, and bad attitude. You change. Index your heart. All right. You is for living unoffended. Will you say that with me? Unoffended. Because if we don't learn to live unoffended and it doesn't become a value to us, which creates a kingdom culture, we will, be a, we will live unhappy. And here's why. In, in Genesis, God says to Cain, Cain, why is your face downcast? 
In other words, why are you so unhappy? And then God says to him, Cain, if you do what is right, you, will you not be accepted? And so living unoffended, don't take offense. You can take offense or you can say, I'm not going to take offense. I'm not going to pick that up. Jesus says about John the Baptist, um, blessed is he who is not offended in me. I know I've been quoted saying this before, but if you're a part of this church and you have not yet been offended, it's only because you have not been coming here long enough. Something or someone is going to offend you. There you are. You already know. It's out. But can I encourage you? Don't let it, don't become so unhappy. Don't, don't throw your toys out of the pram, as we say in England. Don't take your ball and go home. Just say, God, I'm going to face this. I'm not going to live unhappy but I'm going to face this up. And again, these are values, they're core values, and they'll create an amazing kingdom culture. Uh, I've told this story I know before as well, a 105-year-old man that was still driving a car, and uh, he drove right across America, teaching on the power of living a long life, and when asked what was the keys for living a long life, he said, um, I learned to live like royalty because I'm a child of the king. Number one, number two, I never, ever, ever allow unforgiveness in my heart toward anyone at any time. And number three, I chew every single mouthful 32 times. <laughs> Live unoffended. Um, R is for be real, not religious. Be real, not religious. Be real with yourself. Be real with God. Be real with one another. Don't be religious. Read Matthew 7, what Jesus felt about religious people. Don't be religious. And I'm going to end with this. This is the last one. Is live in a culture. and Let's live in a culture together which comes from core values. Whatever your core value is, um, it will create the culture that you're a part of. And this is just me. And this is probably my and Fee's number one core value. Um, is is to empower people, is to empower people. Our dream is to see people's dreams come true. And as we travel around and we go to different places and seeing people's dreams realized, realized is more important to us than anything else simply because that is our dream. So the final letter for culture is E. But if we don't empower, then it ends ends it's the other e we must we must empower don't blow your somebody else's candle out so yours shines brighter if you use your candle to light other people's candle the whole room gets filled with light and your candle loses nothing and that is the kingdom. Can we stand? Oh. Just think for a moment about what you value. Think for a moment about what's important to you. Think for a moment about what is at your core. 
Can I encourage you this week as we start to, as we're in the last month of this year? You know, I, I love Kim Franzen's song, Go Forth, Go Forth. Next year, we're going to look at people, how to reach every type of people, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria to the ends of the earth, to reach the people that we know. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, because he's anointed us to touch the people around us. We are to go forth. We're to keep moving forward. But it's important that we go with values. It's important that we go with convictions. It's important that we go with the Word of God because the Word of God does attract conflict. The Word, the enemy came because of the Word, Mark 4 says. So I want to provoke you to think about these values. Think about them in your marriage. Talk about them with your spouse. What do we value? They don't have to spell something. <laughs> but what do, you, what do we value? What's really important to us as we go into this, as we finish this year? What's important to us as a church? What's important to you that you can, that you can pour into this church family? And as we go into next year, to help reach people, to win the lost. Just close your eyes really quick and I'll pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for this time of year that is a time of thanksgiving. And Lord, as your word says, that we are to be joyful always, to pray continually, to give thanks in every circumstance, because this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, today we just say we're so thankful for what you've promised. We're so thankful for our families. We're so thankful for this church family, for friends. And Lord, as we race to finish this year, Lord, we ask that you would just pour out everything that you paid for on the cross. And not just pour out just for, to our, for our blessing, but so that we can be a blessing. We thank you for Craig Miller next week, Lord, as he comes, and for Saturday and for Sunday, and for as, he just, as he just is a conduit of heaven, of your goodness, touching us with healing power, that you would move in power in this building, that, you would move, that your authority would be displayed here, Lord, that people would come to know you. And Lord, as we, <clears throat> as we just consider over this holiday period the things, our core values, and we write them down, they will serve as values which create a culture in us individually, in families, and as a church family so we can best serve you and be the people that you've called us to be next year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.